You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to Three Makes Baby podcast. Today, my guest is, it's very special because you may have read about him or even seen him um, in the news. I have David Barry here with me today. Hello, hello. Yeah, thank you. So, I, mean, I, I hope someone maybe has seen it, but I'm, I'm not placing my bets on that. <laughs> Your story has come to light and you've been able to go to um, public with it and tell people, you know, both the New York Times and the Washington Post, and then um, tell, tell me what else you were mentioning, yeah. what else uh, you've been on and then what's coming we were- up for you. Sure. So I was, um, the other one that I know we were talking about was Good Morning America, which is, mm-hmm. you know, it's cool to say that you were on Good Morning America. I wish it were for different reasons, but, uh, but down, yeah. down the, the pipeline, <laughs> or well, actually, no, I, I shouldn't say that because I think there's the opportunity for, for good to come from it. And that's a big part of my, my current investment. And yeah. the other article that's, uh, or story that's going to run and has not yet is going to be on Nightline. So also on ABC and we don't have an air date yet, but I'm excited about that one because it'll be longer form uh, and a little bit more of the narrative, which yeah. I think is really important to understanding people in situations like like ours and uh, and the need for legislation more specifically. Um, I think a lot of people are surprised that fertility fraud, which is a big part of my story, that you know, as of yesterday, I guess there are nine states that have legislation, but there are 41 who don't, and that's yeah. a surprise to a lot of people. Okay, so maybe we set the hook and by letting people know right from the <laughs> beginning that you have been in the news and that the, your story is newsworthy and and very, you know, interesting and people want to know about it and learn from it. You know, and I like I'm I'm really sensitive to the to the listeners because so many are parents and you know I hear them like, "Oh no, another story of something going wrong." I have to I have to start out by saying this. So so important. Mm-hmm. I consider Dave, your story and you to be a success story, a happy story. A, I mean, put all the labels you want. It doesn't really matter what we call it. The fact that you're talking about this and you're showing your face and you're sharing your story is freaking incredible. I appreciate that. The courage it takes and the, and the fact it shows your resiliency, your confidence, your inner strength. So you know, as you're listening out, they're going, I can't hear another bad story. I really, really want you to kind of flip the script on this and look at this as an incredible story, but how proud of your child would you be if they would, were able to come out with their story, talk about it in order to make the world a better place. So they're preaching over, I'm done with that, but, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I just, I really want people to start seeing this in a different light. We're not here to talk and harp on the bad things. We're not here to make anybody feel bad. This is about making, you know, a practice and a way of growing your family. It's about making it better. I think it's a great segue for, you know, what I know we originally discussed, and that is to say, you know, life in general is, is challenging, right? Like forget for a second, anybody who is the product of a unique creation, we'll say uh, that you, you come here in the quote unquote conventional way, like life is still going to throw you a number of curveballs, and rarely do they come with a, a benefit to them. And I think, you know, perhaps what you're alluding to, or, or at least how I'm interpreting it is I, I have a lot of side benefits to my story and, and you're right. I, there, there is negativity to it. There, there are darker sides to it, but again, I think that's life. Um, 
big part of it comes down to, you know, number one, it's, it's unique. And maybe that's why people kind of raise it up the flagpole of, of negativity. Um, when in fact it's, you know, it's part and parcel, it's just a little bit different than what people, you know, normally face in challenges, but well, I guess instead of talking around it, I'll, I guess I'll kind of dive into it. <laughs> so I, yeah. I took one of the commercial ancestry.com DNA tests the way a lot of people have, and this would have been, or actually I ordered it in Christmas on Christmas of 2016 at my, uh, my sister's then boyfriend, he's now her husband, uh, his house for, for Christmas dinner. And it's funny the way that I recall it, because I'm from a, a city in New York called Rochester, which is way in the Western part of the state. And from a town called Greece, um, not the country Greece, but spelled the same way. Mm -hmm. And in this specific town, there's great civic pride if you're an Italian American. It's just a really big deal in, in that part of our town. So as it happens, uh, my, my sister's, you know, then boyfriend, he's telling the story about a friend of his who very big and proud of you know, his Italian heritage, takes the Ancestry.com DNA test, comes to find out he is Irish. He is very, very Irish. No <laughs> Italian blood at all. Uh -huh. He has the Italian coat of arms tattoo, like on, you know, on oh, his no. shoulder, like, oh, no. oh, man. just totally derailed <laughs> this kid. And I thought it was oh. hilarious. Uh, yeah. I thought it was really funny. So, so in my own family, I was there you know, with, with both of my parents and my father's father, so I guess my paternal grandfather passed away when he was, I believe, maybe 41 years old. So very, very young. And my father was, was seven years old when, when his father passed. And so as a result, my last name is Barry. I don't have a ton of history on that side of my, or I guess the, the name lineage that I have, even though the name is not so uncommon that you couldn't Google and, and get some guesses. But anyways, I, I heard of this kid's story and I thought it'd be funny if I you know got an ancestry.com test, but it would help me fill in some of those. Pieces. And then I'll fast forward through, you know, some of the, some of the drama, I guess. But the first part was when the results came back in March and the results just didn't make sense. Uh, the, funny enough, this is very similar to, to this guy. So my father's side of the family, his mother is Italian, uh, to the best of my knowledge, was, was born in Italy. And his father was probably uh, British or Irish. Neither of those things showed up, you know, in, in my results. Okay. And there were, you know, several rationalizations that I could make. I did make at that point in time. And I just, you know, reasoned it away that who knows, maybe okay. you know, my grandmother was born in Italy, um, but mm -hmm. she, maybe, maybe she wasn't Italian, you know, maybe her family had come from yeah. somewhere else. And, but at the same time, there was a person who I'd never met or heard of who was a very high DNA match for me. It said she could be an aunt, a first cousin or a half sibling. Okay. And so I had you know, obviously an interest in, in something like that. I imagine most people who discover that would. Mm -hmm. And I sent her a message and she had told me that she was donor conceived and that she was, oh. um, you know, she was on the site essentially to look for a little bit about her biological you know, origin. And I guess okay. in a similar sense to how I was. And so the, in my mind, I immediately go to, I guess, you know, an Occam's razor, this, you know, principle mm -hmm. and philosophy that the simplest yeah. explanation is usually. Yeah. Is usually the one, the right one. Yeah. <laughs> or I thought, right. And um, so you thought, yeah. What was the, what would the simple explanation be? It's a good question. Yeah. For me, the simple explanation was I had an uncle who got out of the military in the mm -hmm. early mid eighties and, and struggled to, to get on his feet. So it crossed my mind. All right. If she's conceived through a sperm donor and we're related through presumably the sperm donor, then maybe my uncle is her biological father. Got it. And and so I sat with that and I proposed it to her and, you know, my parents, 
seemed oblivious or, or disinterested, which was confusing to me, but whatever. Um, oh, that's common. That's a common story I hear. They yeah. seem dis- disinterested or blow it off, kind of brush it off. Right. And, yeah. and because my parents, um, it, it, we'll put it this way. Their reaction was not altogether surprising to me, given what I thought was possible. They didn't want to disrupt, you know, that side of, yeah. uh, of the family. And, and I understood that. And then fast forward, you know, another six months, I can't totally remove myself from this rabbit's hole of research and explanations. And I, um, this, this girl and I, we agreed to take, um, upload our raw data to, I want to say the website was GEDmatch, G-E-D-match.com. That would allow us to see if we, I'm trying to see if it would allow us to see if we shared maternal or paternal DNA, which we were pretty sure. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that was a thing. It's uh, it's a very basic looking website, but it's really about, and it actually allows you to see at least comparing to other people, which segments of your 23 chromosomes you share with another person. It's, it's very interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty like solid science. Oh yeah. Trust yeah. It's it. solid yeah. science. It'll, it'll take the, awesome. the raw data export commercial DNA site, which is mm-hmm. an important part of our story as it happens, because before we could even go down, you know, the details of that DNA, um, mm-hmm you know, uniqueness, if you will, we found ourselves another match who was an, basically a similar match to ourselves, uh, a gentleman. And we did, you know, some DNA, if you will, on, on uh, Google and discovered that all three of us were born within 11 months of each other and all from Rochester, New York. So I had a conversation with my parents again that night, uh-huh. letting them know what I discovered. And then the following night, I got a phone call my, from my father who all of a sudden mm. seemed to know a lot more about this than I had anticipated. Oh, and yeah, that uh. he, um, he, yeah, he explained to me in that conversation that I, you know, I was conceived through a donor and I knew a very important part of my parents' story, which was they had tried for five years to conceive naturally. Um, okay. That I knew the part that they left out <laughs> was perhaps the most significant one. And that was, yeah. They, they did not conceive naturally. They ultimately ended up, you know, needing the help of a sperm donor to start their family. Yeah. And yeah. I had, I think the expected emotional reactions to something like that it was a few days before my 33rd birthday. And it was, it was very emotional, but something that never crossed my mind and, and maybe to tie back to what you were saying of like stories generally being happy. Um, I, I was happy. In fact, I was you know, despite the the tears that I had in, in great um, volumes over those first couple of weeks, I was reminded in something that most people maybe don't spend time really thinking about, which is how much they were wanted by their parents. Mm. And in my case, I'm very fortunate to be somebody who continues to have both of his parents on this earth, who always raised me with love, uh, raised me with, you know, uh, a little sister who, as it, you know, as it came out was, was also donor conceived. Okay. And, um, okay. and it's, possible. We're not biologically full siblings, but, um, but our relationship is, you know, is just the same. And so I had a mm-hmm. chance to really kind of bask after the initial shock of it, bask in the fact that I was so desperately loved and wanted. And, mm. and on top of that, 
I ended up with two new half siblings uh, right out of the gate, yeah. which was, which was really, bonus siblings. which was oh, really so cool. Probably. Yeah. 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 Bonus siblings. <laughs> I mean, okay. Maybe I shouldn't say that, you know, your terminology is so sensitive that mm-hmm. I never, I don't want to, I always want to respect what people say and not put something in. So I, I am not um, easily offended. I, I know okay. people struggle to explain it themselves. So I, I yeah. appreciate people who are willing to try and, you know, understand what the yeah. right language is. And I'm still trying to figure that out yeah. myself. Yeah. I guess I use the word bonus because I think in, in talking with donor can see people in general, there is, um, there's a mixture of feelings like the whole topic, but in general, it can be a positive experience, or at least there's moments that are very positive. Sure. It may not stay positive. There's going to be just like life. There's going to be, you know, maybe a, a period where you drift apart again, or you find you don't have as much in, in common or life just takes you in different directions and that's sure. completely normal. So, but that, um, so, and I, you know, that when you, t- you touched on so wanted, and we've had discussions about this a lot with donor conceived people and, and recipient parents that um, a lot of times recipient parents will um, say, you know, wh- why are you upset about being donor conceived? I mean, just your parents really wanted you. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of like dominant narrative that says you should be grateful instead of have any negative feelings. And what the, what I continue to emphasize on this podcast is that there's, it's both. And that you just said that, you know, is that you can actually feel that what you just described is I feel so wanted and the parent, you know, the parents are like, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Right. Because yes, it is. We just don't want to place that on you and say, Hey, Dave, you should feel so wanted. One of the, you know, the ongoing challenges I'll say of like a discovery like this and subsequent ones, which I'm sure we'll get into is that two seemingly like different uh, direction truths, truths going in the opposite direction can both be true at the same time. Yes. Um, that, yes. you know, that there's something difficult and, and hard to emotionally navigate. And at the same time is a beautiful gift. And you, yes. I, 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 at least, you know, was inclined previously to think of things as, as one or the other and, and life, life rarely operates that way. And certainly in my situation and others like me, it's, you know, it's learning that two things can be true at the same time that may not seem like they could coexist. Yeah. It's the dialectical thinking I talk about. It's, they can be, they can exist at the same time and that we can hold the tension between those two. Mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. And we can, we know the media likes to polarize topics. They like to put <laughs> right. them on in an either or categories. Cause it just sells more of what they're selling. But, but I, and I don't know how nightline will present you, but do you feel like you've been fairly pre- presented in these yeah, other I, I do, okay. um, which I'm, I'm really grateful for because, you know, to your point, Good. clicks, clicks are what are selling these days, which is yeah. conversation for another day, but why you see such a divided, you know, media world right. where people live in two different realities, but exactly. no, I, yeah. I think, I think they did a, you know, a lot of justice to, to the story. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that um, because it is nuanced. It's not, you know, it's not a, a clickbaity headline, right? There's a lot of meat to it. Um, Although it could be. It is definitely a click. <laughs> yeah. And we'll tell you why. Well, I'll let, I'll let you say why. So after, you know, discovering the the two half siblings at the beginning, as it happened, one of them lives um, in, in New York City. And I had to be in New York City a, a couple of weeks later. I live in Miami, Florida now. Um, but I had to be in New York City for a wedding. And so I had asked, I was like, hey, I don't know if this is too forward, but, you know, two weeks from now, I'll be in New York City. Would you want to meet up? And, and he said, yes. And then my half sister had said, well, if you guys are both going to be there, I'd like to be there too. And so two weeks after discovering we were half siblings, all three of us met for the first time and spent a good chunk of that weekend together in New York city. And 
I was blown away. You know, one of the things that is hard, and this is a, a cringy comparison, but <laughs> but you'll have to stick with me. The, yeah, I trigger compare, one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel a lot of similarities with like when you start dating somebody new as like the, yeah. feel, the feelings that you have when you meet your new half siblings, you want to have, make a good impression. You want them to like you, um, all, all those it's sorts true. of things. Yeah. And yeah. 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 And it, and I, I know, I totally understand that. And that's not just, that's, that's actually research has shown that to hmm. be a thing. Um, and that I think it's really important to, to make normalize that feeling because it can feel like, Whoa, like that's not, but we're not supposed to feel that way, but it is, it is, you know, a feeling that can come up exciting, um, first, first love kind of, but it's not necessarily, it's not like, romantic. It's right. just, yeah, it's a, it's a, it wraps around, I think, it's, acceptance and vulnerability and, you know, new emotions that you're not familiar with and, and a commonality, like a mm -hmm. connection that right. you have with that person that's special right. and, and through genetics. Yeah. That's a great point because we all felt the significance of it, right? Like you're all of a sudden you're in your thirties and you're, you're related to somebody like that close that you've never met. Like you're right. It feels really significant. And it, you, people know whether they had siblings or they didn't, what a sibling relationship should be like. And so you feel yeah. like, Oh, do it. Is that what we have to be? Is that the expectation? Um, and the truth is I still don't know, <laughs> even, you know, now yeah. several years yeah. later, I don't know what normal is, but I can say that that first weekend was spectacular. I, I was delighted by the people that I happened to to share this connection with. And, and I continue mm -hmm. to this day to have a wonderful relationship with them. Um, and I'm, you know, incredibly grateful for that, but it also set into motion, uh, at least at first, just some general questions. So they happened to both know yeah. they, they grew up knowing they were donor conceived and it was the one of the three who, who did not. So they knew the okay. name of the fertility doctor who had helped their mothers. And, you know, as it turns out, all three of our mothers had gone to the same fertility doctor, which didn't seem all that surprising, um, you know, given the fact that we were born within yeah. a, a year of each other, that seemed possible. Um, but okay. it's, yeah. you know, I would say it was the first time where at least I personally had some, you know, questions about, well, yeah, well, who is that donor? Who is the person that whose reflection I'm seeing yeah. half of, you know, every day. Okay. And then fast forward um, to, I think it was the following August. So you know, a little over, or just about a year later, I, um, all three of our families, me and my two half siblings and their, um, you know, mothers and, and children or whatever, all got together for a, a family, super family <laughs> barbecue. And it was, <laughs> uh -huh. it was one of the happiest nights of, of my entire life, just watching oh. everything kind of come full circle. And then the next, so cool. and I know, sorry, I should have like allowed us to stop and bask in that, but that <laughs> whole collision of worlds and everybody just being so warm, yeah. warm to each other was just like, this is a new normal. And I'm, and I like this new normal until See, there we go. Happy. So there's, there's your happy part. The next morning, um, mm -hmm. however, my half brother woke up to a notification on his 23 and me account okay. that he had another, another match, somebody who was yeah. um, very likely yeah. a half sibling to us. Okay. And as it turns out that, um, that, that girl or, or woman, I should say, was a very close childhood friend of the first girl half sibling um, that we had. What? So essentially, and she has a twin sister. So, in short version, to Whoa. make a little more sense of it, these three girls grew up on the same street as each other from the age of five 
as closest friends oh, wow. all, all through you know high school and come to find out in their early 30s were were half sisters and wow that's this... the kind of stuff that parents when they come talk to me before they use a donor don't even think about they right. you know and because and I do I say you know you could your kids could go to school with a half sibling and not know it and they're like Right. Whoa. And then only the ones that maybe have thought of it say, oh, but the doctor says that's in- incredibly rare. I don't know that it's as rare as, as they think it is. Yeah. Especially in smaller cities. Um, right. And, and, right. and rare is very subjective too. That's why you that's need true. to quant- you need to quantify rare <laughs> with, with certain people, <laughs> we you know, need data. Yeah. Right. So, so, but uh, yeah. I, that's incredible. And you're not the first, it's not the first story I've heard. Amazing. It, it is. And at the same time, it was a little disorienting because for some reason I had like operated under the assumption that I just landed on new earth and it was just, you know, me and these two other people. And this, this was it. Um, and I'll fast forward through some of these you know details here, but over the next, I'll call it 18 months to two years, we ended up getting up to 10 uh, half siblings. And at this point we had had really significant growing suspicions about who it was was our, our you know our biological father and how we'd gotten here, and to spoil the ending a little bit, uh, I'll skip yeah. over some details. But ultimately, I was able to connect with the fertility doctor, one of his known daughters, um, because I have I was so suspicious at this point that I you were I had, yeah, and I was, and I believed oh, it was not only possible but very likely that the fertility doctor was our biological father. And did took, yeah. was there a moment like that hit you and you were? push the thought away like no that can't be the truth or Const- did you yeah constantly pushed it away constantly. because oh my gosh because in the beginning right like the oh. to think that out there in the very beginning right that you have two half siblings you've never met that feels crazy and right. then to get to a place you know a couple of years later to think not only do i have now you know 10 or more half siblings but the person who set this all in motion was the fertility doctor for all of our mothers that just seemed so implausible and you know a whole bunch of other adjectives that are not positive but the results came back and i and his known daughter that he raised were a 99.99 percent match as half siblings and you know this was and we got a second certified dna test that confirmed that was our biological father and so that was um but funny enough it didn't have like the climactic finish Okay. Um, where like, oh, wow, that's, that's earth shattering. It is, but I think I had mm-hmm. suspected it and spent time imagining it for Processing. so long okay. that it, yeah, it was actually almost validated when it happened because I was like, okay. all right, at least, okay. at least I'm not crazy. You know, like, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. What's the other side? Were you angry? Were you, I, I mean, what kind of things, how did you deal with that? This is the, I guess the reiterating the main theme of multiple things being true that don't seem to agree with each other. I, part of me was uh, angry, not necessarily for, for myself, but more so for my mother, for our mothers who, you know, in the most intimate of settings were, were lied to. Um, And that a lie is, is not even the beginning of it because We, we, as their children are a physical living, breathing reminder every day of this thing that was done wrong to them, but at the same time is the source of 
well, at least what my mom says, <laughs> her greatest gift, uh, you know, is, is her children. Yeah. And yeah. so both of those things are living there. And then, you know, here's another unfortunate twist to the story, but one of my half sisters, um, so this, this doctor, um, is a practicing physician still in gynecology in Rochester. And she has been a patient of his, um, you know, for, for nine years prior to the discovery of this. And so, I mean, it, and I she had to have known. I'm I'm certain with every fiber of my being because she told him along the one of the discoveries that she was making, um, which oh wow I have you know a couple half brothers oh wow there's more half siblings like, but still you know not until not until we had confirmation like we all thought we were still crazy and and she he had the opportunity to acknowledge or stop treating her or any of the above and and did not. So I'm angry for her. Um, and at the same time, when I look at myself, I have to acknowledge that if I'm generally happy with myself, then a, a not small component of who I am is, is a mm -hmm. product of him. And, you know, two weeks, less than two weeks after confirming that he was my biological father, I, my wife gave birth to our son and I held my son for the first time, which was, is magnificent on its own. But I was reminded of the fact that his blood is, is in my son too. And, yeah. and that's something that, you know, I, I can't undo and that I do wrestle with that um, all in all, do but okay. wrestle with it in the sense that it's, it's there, but not wrestle with it in the sense that like, there's something I'm going to do about it. And to a word you used earlier yeah. is acceptance and acceptance. I don't think means just, you know, putting your feelings aside and just no. saying, well, it is what it is but acknowledging that this is an unshakable truth and that's where you have to start. It doesn't mean that the feelings that you have are, yeah. are good or bad or right or wrong. Uh, I think there's space for all of them in time, but you do have to accept that this is a foundational truth and what you choose to do with it is, is ultimately up to you. And I, that exactly. for me, yeah, I, I think the fact that I have a choice is, um, is the most important part. I have a choice in how I choose to navigate this. It is up to me. Absolutely. It is absolutely. And you know, there's so many inheritable, there's things that are inherited. There's things that were, are learned and a combination of both. And there's things that are outside of your control. This was obviously much, very much outside of your control. And we can't fault ourselves or shame ourselves for something that we didn't control. Um, right. And, you know, I, when we were little, um, I grew up in Montana. And we used to go to this area and I can't remember now where my dad would know, but we would, um, do that, like panning for, um, oh, yeah. stones, you know, sure. like, so you get, we get like trying to think it was all set up, but at the time it seemed very real to me. <laughs> I was a kid. So I'm sifting through and, you know, you're letting like, it just looks like a bunch of dirt. And then as you sift through and let the water run through it, um, what you get left with is these, these stones that, you're just so excited that you discovered, you know, mm -hmm. how lucky, even though it was probably part of it. I think <laughs> of that when I think of taking on the traits of biological family that you either knew or you didn't know growing up, or you discovered later, like in you and I's case, we discovered facts later. I was ado through adoption. Um, say, taking the traits that, that maybe you're not really so sure about and letting that be the sand that just sifts through. And then I just like keeping that. the things that, yeah, those stones, those gems that stay on the top, like keeping that because that's the part that you want to embrace and cultivate and focus on and grow 
and, and nurture. That's great so, advice. Yeah. So that's a way, you know, right. I think there are a lot of people are going through that kind of, I remember when I was going to meet my birth father for the first time or figure out who he was, I remember mm-hmm. like, what if he's thinking, what if he's in prison? What if he's a murderer? You know, like, I yeah, don't know. Right? You don't know. Yeah. What, how will I make sense of that? And there's so many people I was talking to a, a new friend the other day and they were shared with me that he was adopted. And he said, I'm afraid to open that door because I'm not sure what I'm going to find. Mm-hmm. And yet then there's this whole side of him. He's denying because of fear. So right. we don't know what we're going to find, but it doesn't mean, again, it doesn't, it doesn't change us. It doesn't, you know, like we still are, we're still who we are. It's a very good point. And I think that's, I think it's, um, it's a great lesson for, for anybody. And, and I know that a, a big chunk of, of your listeners are people who, who have children who are, you know, maybe adopted or, or donor conceived, or you know, maybe some other quote unquote, unconventional means. Um, but I think from that perspective, it's, it is important to remind yourself that everything you just said about sifting through the, you know, leaving out and nourishing, if you will, the, the nice stones is true for anybody. It's, it's a universal truth. We all, regardless of like the origins, have things that on given days we like about ourselves and things that we're kind of like, meh, why, why this? You know, I, I wish that I had a, you know, a full head of hair and I was a little bit taller. It's uh, it is what it is. Right. But <laughs> yeah, but that, you know, but that's acceptance, right? Like those things are not yeah. in the cards for me, but there's a lot yeah. in me that is, that is good and capable. And, um, yeah. and I think that's important for, you know, for parents to, to remember is that yes, the circumstance feels unique, but the, the life lessons within it are, are no different. And for me personally, so I, I preach a huge value on, on truth and, and honesty, which, you know, I, I understand why my parents, for example, withheld the information. I suppose if I were, you know, trying to conceive naturally or, you know, artificially, I suppose in the early eighties, then I might have, you know, had some secrecy too, but when you're, and I feel it's especially now that I am a father, your, your job is not to your child is not your property, even though for a period of time, it probably feels like you're, you have to control everything. You certainly do. But what you're raising is another person who's going to be their own person. And the same way that you expect and you know think that you deserve truth and honesty from, from others around you. I mean, if, if you're raising a child, they deserve that too. Um, you know, I suppose my, my life would look a little different if I knew uh, you know, a lot of this earlier in life. Um, but I do know that I, I deserved to know, and I'm glad that I do. And I think that's one of the best gifts that you can give to, to your child is, is the truth and, and nurture and support them while they navigate what that means. Oh, I love that you said that international donor conception way day is uh, April 27th. And it is, that's what we're encouraging people to do is to be honest if they haven't yet, because there's still a tremendous amount of secrecy yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and look, I mean, I'll take it a step further and you, you started the show by saying you felt like you were being preachy. Now it's my turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the truth part is, is the first part, but I think a big part of the reason, you know, people would continue, parents would continue to withhold that information is the fear of what they don't know. And what I is really two things. Number one, if you've done a, a solid job in raising your child, you know, in, in love, which I believe, um, you know, I don't want to make it bold assumptions, but children who were, you know, brought home through adoption or, or donor conception know more than most people that they were, you know, that they were sought after. Right. Um, so I, I will make an assumption that, you know, a lot of those children were, were raised in, in love. So if you've done that, 
checkbox number one. I feel like your, your child is going to be, I don't deny them the opportunity or, or likelihood that they will have an emotional reaction, but the, the rebound off of that is that they will, will rest on that, that truth. And the second part is um, for the things that you, you can't control. Uh, well, that, number one, that's life. But, but the second part of it yeah. is there, there are an abundance of resources out there of um, you know, communities of people who are donor conceived or conceived through adoption um, who share their stories with each other. And, uh, you know, a lot of these live in, in Facebook groups that are very easy to find, for example, and, you know, probably numerous other resources that I, I'm not even aware of, but there, there's a world out there where your children can, can find comfort and support. And, and look, I'll, I'll say it very plainly too. I, I spent, you know, a lot of time with my therapist in, in the first, you know, days and weeks after the discovery for me too, not because I felt, you know, broken or anything, but because I had, a lot of new information that I didn't know what to do yeah. with. And sure. <laughs> a therapist is yeah. helpful in that regard. So yes. Yeah. yeah. And assimilating that new information into who you are and sifting through the sand and keeping the gemstones um, is part of that process because there is a lot of assimilation into our identity to do, even when new siblings are discovered. Um, again, there might be traits that show up in a sibling that you don't have, um, or you have little pieces of, or you have little hints of. So each, each moment when you find a new sibling, you might go through that again. So yeah, I think talking through it is so helpful and it can be such a blessing too, because you get these new pieces of information that can help you understand your behavior or maybe why you respond a certain way to certain things. Yeah. And feeling tethered to something is, is valuable yeah. as well. Like, you know, talking about it, it's such a cliche, or at least it feels like one, but the things that stay in, you know, is just kind of like mold that gets pushed under the carpet. Like you might think that you put it away, but that's growing underneath and it's, and it's not good. Um, and, and that's, you know, the truth, I think with, with any secret secret or even a, a feeling or an emotion that's not dealt with. And yeah. It's so funny. I had someone ask a client asking me recently, like, and I liked how she was breaking it down. She's like, like, why do we need to process our emotions? Like, can't we just set them? And I'm like, I know, right? Why can't we just push them over there? I like I the question. I think it's a good way. question. <laughs> and I'm like, I know. And it, do I have the answer? Heck no. I don't, I didn't, I don't have the answer to why I just know in, that for, for some reason we do have to feel it to heal it. Mm-hmm. I think you just, you do, you have to process it. Maybe yeah. that's the point of being here. Who knows? <laughs> it could be. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, look, there's other outlets too, right? Like I was ready to talk. Maybe somebody is not, I, but at the same time, like a, a pen and pad, point. you know, a keyboard is there. Like you can write all, a lot of this out too. And I did that as well. You know, you can find ways to, at least for me personally, my thoughts feel like a tornado in my mind, but when I write, I'm able to at least organize them a little bit more logically into something that makes sense. And you know, there's, there's that too. That's a great, um, that's a great point. And I think just being able to write it and also not, you know, the, your point to the not being ready too is, is important. So if somebody is just starting to contemplate these thoughts and feelings and need help just connecting, reconnecting or identifying, you know, that's, there's ways you can do that. So, mm-hmm. um, whatever stage you're at is, is good. It's not saying everybody has to be like, boom, you got to go right into it and start feeling it. <laughs> right. No, not every, there's a process that leading up to that too. What would you say is, you know, going to, you know, being able to be open with your story and open with your identity. Tell me what, what led you to that? And, and what is your main kind of, what's the drive behind that? Yeah, it's a, a also a good question. Um, you know, I, I think for me originally, I, I actually 
do write for myself. And that was a vehicle for me to share my story, at least in, in my world, which is a lot smaller than the Good Morning America world. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when those opportunities presented themselves, um, I think at first for me, there was the the shock of being donor conceived, the shock of having, you know, numerous half siblings, and then the wow moment of, you know, finding out it's your biological father uh, is, is the fertility doctor. Um, are, are shock moments. But then on the other side of that was the recognition that, you know, we talk a lot about acceptance and sometimes that means accepting things that you're not particularly happy about and you can want them to be different in the future. And so for me, uh, look, there's going to be a lot of people who click on the articles, you know, about me and my half siblings and my story and, uh, and say, well, that's crazy or wow, that sucks. Um, and there's, but there's also going to be a contingent of people who, who have some sort of identification with the story, um, you know, maybe through adoption or, or donor conception, or have ever been in a position where they just didn't feel safe or comfortable in their physician's office. Um, and so I, I mentioned that now that knowing that while I'm grateful that I am here and all my half siblings are here, how we got here is, is wrong. And so an important part of me telling the story is revealing to a contingent of people who are shocked as I was that this is not illegal in 41 states. And so I do think that fertility fraud legislation is, is important to me, um, not just to, you know, to right a wrong, but also for accountability for our mothers who have not you know, necessarily been given a voice. Um, and, and frankly, maybe this is overstating it, but I also think in states that have not passed this legislation, they are implicitly endorsing a practice where women are not safe and protected in the one place that they really should be. And I can't think of a more vulnerable space for a woman than the, the gynecologist's office. And, and it shouldn't be that way. Um, the second part of it is, is really accountability for, for my half-sister who uh, was a patient of, of this physician in particular. And I know, unfortunately, that that is a, an even more unique circumstance. So yeah. I, for me, it's about you know um, giving a voice and, and a platform where patients can find a and and not stopping um, until the other 41 states put something together that says, you know, this is done. The The next generation is not going to have this to, to deal with. Yeah. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Because to assume that it's rare or it's not happening anymore or it's never going to happen again is a bit naive. I think so. You know, I think, um, you know, this practice of donor conception started as an experimental fertility treatment, um, back, um, I mean, gosh, probably in the late 1800s even. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was done under such a, a veil of secrecy that that is, that's why they were doctors were, and not just doctors, but staff at the physician's office, medical students, you know, maybe the lab director, you know, personnel in was, they were getting the donations from them. And then lastly, I just, I feel like we would leave um, the listeners hanging. If we, if I didn't ask you, I assume you have not met uh, the physician. Oh, that's correct. So I okay. him, nor do I intend to, but I, I, to, okay. I have, I have spoken to him. Um, I've spoken to him. Yeah. So this, um, I had an opportunity. So before, when his known daughter took the DNA test and before the results came in, I recognized a, a small window where I could, in theory, 
speak to him and maybe be able to get some answers from him before he knew that I had the answers. And so I, I sent him an email and it was, it was not related to this. Um, but what I wrote him about was, was truthful. And that was, as I had mentioned, my son was born less than two weeks, you know, after the, the results came in. So I would say it was probably about three weeks at this point before my son was born. And, um, and I had you know, questions about um, well, the irony, right. That I was, I received uh, Ashkenazi Jewish, you know, d- um, DNA through my biological father. Uh, but I don't identify as Jewish. Meanwhile, I married a woman who's adopted, who was raised Jewish <laughs> and, oh, and may wow. not, may not necessarily have that. So, yeah. um, so I, you know, had thoughts of saying like, I, I feel like an imposter mm-hmm. trying to raise my son in a Jewish environment is what I, you know, explained. And he was somebody who was, and still is an outspoken voice, you know, for the Jewish community in Rochester. So I sent him the note and he, he called me within, within 30 minutes, actually, of me sending the email and, on the call, I had an opportunity to explain to him who I was and, and I told him who I suspected he might be. And I tried to, as gently as I could and diplomatically as I could say, I recognize what I'm suggesting would sound like a wild accusation. It's just something I believe might be possible. And um, now mind you, if someone had you know called out of the blue and suggested that you know I had donated sperm and I was their father, I would say, well, no, that's not possible because it never happened. Instead, he uh, he gave me something else to believe, which was a lot of Ashkenazi Jewish donors were, you know, had fairer features with light eyes, which you know is me. Um, and you know, sorry that he couldn't be of more help, but you know, there's probably an explanation for for it that way. And he went on to you know to, to tell me about his ancestral history with you know with his own family. Um, you know, this is a survivor. Or he's the child of Holocaust survivors um, who escaped Poland uh, in World War II and, and made their way to Ellis Island in New York. And, um, and we, we hung up the phone, you know, 20 or so minutes later, and I didn't have confirmation. But after that phone call, I was, I was totally sure that he was my bio- biological father, because number one, he never denied that it was true. He just gave me something else he could believe. And number two, he spent a lot of time telling me about about his family and and a level of depth that I don't think I would share with a, a total stranger unless I felt like I was trying to tell them something without telling them something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and that was that was it. And I I was grateful for the conversation, even though I knew a lot more, um, mm-hmm. you know, than than he knew that I knew. And so I have I have other misgivings about him. And for that reason, I you know I don't desire any further communication, but. My long answer is, yeah, I, I have spoken to him and um, oh, I can say that that is done. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to yeah. have experienced. I'm glad that I did it. I, yeah, yeah I, I maybe went, you know, too fast on some of this thing. I'm just kind of blindly yeah. diving into everything, but I don't regret it. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Any advice <laughs> for any, anyone that's going through and just discovering their, they were donor conceived through a DNA test? Um, don't, don't judge yourself and, and, and be, and be kind to yourself. There, there are no wrong emotions. There are no wrong ways to navigate it. You're, you're going to feel some ways on one day and not even the next day, maybe within a couple hours, you're going to feel something, you know, completely different. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack and there are no wrong feelings. You're entitled to feel, you know, relieved or angry or, you know, or upset or lied to, or, um, or, you know, optimistic. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that can come into it. There's no wrong feeling for it. Um, but what I would say is if you get to a point where you're navigating something that feels too big to lift on your own, 
don't don't go at it alone. Um, yeah. At a minimum, you know, write it out and try to make sense of those feelings in your own head, and and talk to somebody. You know, yeah. if you have other half siblings coming through it, they get it. If you don't, find communities of people who are also you know like you, and you're you're gonna feel a, a kinship and a safety with with people like that. But there's yeah. there's no no wrong feeling is what I would say. So true and so good to say that and remember that we, we started this by saying, kind of speaking to the recipient parents and saying, you know, this is not, uh, this is not a, we're not trying to beat you over the head with bad stories, but I think to end by saying that at the same time, that if you are donor conceived and you're listening, that if you don't find any happy in this at all right now, that's okay too. <laughs> so right. you don't have to find any happy when you're, we're in your, the, you're in the deepest grieving part of this, uh, it's hard to find any happy and it's hard to believe you ever will. So hopefully you and I have been given, you know, today, David and I have given you some hope about that. There can be that happy can be found again through, through acceptance and processing and support just all those things that you mentioned. Absolutely. It's a, it's a process, but wherever it is you're hoping to get you, you can, and you will get there. Yeah. Very good. So great to talk to you. This has been awesome. You too. Thank you so much. I, I was delighted to be here and yeah. it's, uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're, you're sharing the stories that you're sharing and uh, oh. I appreciate being, being a part of it. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram at Jana Rupnow LPC and Facebook. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby on amazon.com barnesandnoble.com and target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.